the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. We would like to welcome you and thank you for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. We appreciate very much your time. A reminder, the show will re-air again tomorrow on The Answer at noon. And we thank you for giving us your attention for the next hour as we discuss saving and investing, working toward retirement, financial independence later on in life. We'll cover the headlines of the day. We'll cover some strategies for retirement. And most importantly, we'll introduce you to Josh Pick and the Aptus Wealth Management team. They offer you a free, no obligation consultation so you can get to know them personally. You can set that up by calling their office at 614-917-1040. 614-917-1040, or you can do it online. Make the appointment online, that is, by going to Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And Josh, welcome into another week. Uh, we can start with, uh, I guess, Maybe the long view backward, uh, a couple days after we last spoke here on the show last Friday, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell on 60 Minutes, an extensive interview with Scott Pelley. Seemed like Pelley was trying to talk him into a rate uh, cut, but a lot of people out there in the investment world are trying to talk Jerome Powell into a rate cut. Yeah, I mean, the the market certainly reacted uh, to that interview. It's since bounced back, but the initial response to the uh, Chairman Powell effectively saying, don't expect any rate cuts in March. The earliest he envisions the potential for a rate cut being in May. Uh, the market reacted, didn't like it, had a little blip in the radar, but has since recovered. Um, but I think, you know, they weren't able to really put his feet to the fire on what does he believe the rest of the year looks like. He spoke kind of anecdotally about, you know, inflation is down sharply, but it's not dead, kind of talking out of both sides. You know, we want to make sure that we see long-term long term stability. We want to gain more confidence. We want to see good news more often, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and I think the thing with his interview that we all want to see inflation come down, and there's a chance that it will come down. But I thought what was really interesting in his interview was when Scott Pelley asked him, and here's the quote, inflation is one thing, prices are another. And I wonder, this is Pelley talking, if there's any reason to believe that people will see the prices of things decline. And Powell's quote is, so the prices of some things will decline, others will go up, but we don't expect to see a decline in the overall price level. That doesn't tend to happen in economies. 
except in very negative circumstances. What you will see, though, is inflation coming down. So if you're uh, bothered by prices at the grocery store, prices for cars, prices for homes, <laughs> forget it. Uh, they're not coming down. This is the new normal, as much as people may not like it. Yeah, effectively, what he said there is, you know, when it comes to inflation, we're more worried about the future increases being, quote, inflation, meaning we are where we are. The, the toothpaste is already out of the tube. It's not going back in the tube, but we see a stabilization of the increases of those prices moving forward. So I think he even in the interview used, uh, you know, the analogy of cars. He said, you know, cars were a huge issue. They're actually, you know, the resale value is coming down in price. But as you can see, the new price of cars is not coming down in price, but it's kind of going back to the normal. If you recall, Bruce, you know, back during COVID, we had a chip shortage. We were overpaying for cars. We we're actually paying more than MSRP. So we go, wow, prices are a lot better because we're just paying MSRP. We didn't say that we're, you know, the price of MSRP has gone down or anything like that. We're just kind of going back to the new normal. I think, you know, something else that uh, I give credit to the interviewer for saying is, okay, so if you're not going to raise rates in March, but you're considering raising them in May, that's awfully close to an election. And while uh, the Fed consistently and repetitively says it's never been a political entity and that they don't take into account politics, uh, he said, you know, a lot of people would disagree with that. And what do you say to those folks who say there's got to be it's not just irony, it's not just uh, happenstance that it's a little bit too close to the election, meaning that the when you lower interest rates, it's usually a favorable thing for the economy. Is this a short sighted boost? for the election coming right around the corner. Let's make the economy look real good as we head into election. And he was adamant about saying that they never pay attention to politics. And I quote, integrity is priceless and he will not sacrifice the integrity of his position. Now we can say whatever we want about it. And maybe it's just perfect timing that the perfect time to drop interest rates is two months before an election. But I think you'd be hard pressed to convince anybody that that isn't very um, interesting timing. Well, certainly. And you, I mean, I read a quote last week from Elizabeth Warren, Democratic senator, who was, you know, leaning on the Fed to lower interest rates soon, get the housing market up. I mean, that may be uh, just her altruistic outpoint, uh, outlook, uh, her understanding of the markets. It might be driven by the fact that she'd like to see uh, less of a challenge for Senate, uh, for the Democrats to retain the Senate, maybe for their chances of taking the House back, a chance for a Democratic president to be reelected, or if someone uh, replaces Joe Biden on the ticket, uh, for that person to be elected. I thought it was interesting, and we've chatted about this numerous times, These uh, this delicate balance, this difficulty of threading the needle for a soft economic landing. You know, the fear was, first of all, that uh, the Fed, by keeping interest rates low, uh, and the government, by giving everybody continual COVID checks, that inflation was going to be transitory. It was going to be temporary. We were told in the beginning it was going to be a good thing, even that we had momentary inflation. Well, then it shot up to 9% and put those prices up there where a lot of people still uh, find them to be too high. And they finally had to admit, okay, it's not a good thing. We got to work on it. That's why rates came down. But the jobs report continues to burn hot. There's always more jobs than they anticipate. Uh, they're revising the inflation numbers of uh, some of them, which I'll get into momentarily are uh, not really that promising for inflation going away as a concern. And right prior to Powell saying that uh, comment about integrity being everything, he 
talked to Scott Pelley about, it's not easy to get the economics of this right in the first place. These are complicated risk balancing decisions. And then he addressed that, you know, political concern and the impact on the election based on what the Fed does. He said, if we tried to incorporate a whole other set of factors like politics into those decisions, it could only lead to worse economic outcomes. So we simply don't do that and we're not going to do it. We haven't done it in the past and we're not going to do it now. I don't know if he's being 100% truthful. I don't know if he's being 100% truthful and the prevailing uh, dynamics will not permit it, but he referred there to the fact that this has been a complex thing. They got it wrong. Uh, inflation came out of nowhere uh, in their mind, and they've been scrambling to try to correct it. A lot of people haven't liked their corrective measures. The fact that inflation is not as bad now as it was before shows that they're making progress. But again, their target is 2% inflation, and they're over 3% right now, which is, by my math, 50% higher than they'd like for it to be still. You know, and he admitted that he screwed up or that the Fed screwed up. He said, we were late to the game. And the, uh, you know, but we've made adjustments to make sure that something like this never happens again. Now, I don't know how you make adjustments for the federal government printing $5 trillion during a pandemic. And that's going to look the same the second go around. Hopefully there isn't a second go around. But nevertheless, he admitted that, you know, we were late to the party. He also said, though, in relation to that 2% inflation goal, that that is, in fact, the goal, but 2.0% is not necessary for the Fed to start cutting interest rates. What he means by that is if everything in the economy looks sound and all of the information looks favorable, then we can accomplish two things at the same time. We can continue to reduce inflation while continuing to stimulate the economy via lower interest rates. Now, when they decide to do that, again, it looks like it's going to be at least in the second half of the year, um, but it's at least a, a good thing because my concern was, you know, if we're hard and fast, which I never believed was the case, but if we're hard and fast about getting to 2% inflation, we could quite literally stall out the economy by having interest rates just simply too high for businesses to borrow and for people to go out and actively look for homes because the lending rate is just far too high. Well, I think what all of this underscores is the difficulty of getting this right, particularly given whatever a person's uh, particular window may be in time toward retirement. Mine is uh, not imminent, but it's not that far away that I can afford a big mistake. That's what prompted my wife and I to go in and meet with Josh. It wasn't Josh asking me, as I said before, I knew Josh for almost three years before I had to approach him and say, hey, you know, um, could we have a conversation? So it's a no pressure environment and it's a conversation that you'll gain from much insight uh, for us, peace of mind. We became Aptus clients. We're very happy with uh, their performance on our behalf. You can save for retirement. Uh, maybe you make enough that simply saving is enough. But my suspicion is with the way prices can jump on you, and we've certainly seen that in the last two years. Saving is not enough. You got to invest. You got to grow your money exponentially. You got to take advantage of compounding and all those other things. If you don't understand them, don't feel bad. That's why people like Josh exist. The great thing about Josh and the Aptus team is that they're fiduciaries. They are legally obligated to do what is best for you. And so 
have that free consultation. Set it up by calling their office, 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040, AptusWealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. If you're wondering where they're located, they're in Lewis Center, just off Route 750. Couldn't be easier to get to. Won't take you more than five to seven minutes to get there from 23 and 270. So set up that consultation, 614-917-1040. And when they come out with these numbers, whether it's a jobs report or the inflation numbers or whatever it is, they come out with them and then they always revise them later on. And you mentioned this week after uh, Chairman Powell's comments on 60 Minutes, the market didn't like it originally. Now the market has had a pretty good week. S&P 500 is approaching 5,000. But we've had a revision in the inflation numbers from December when we had an uptick in inflation from November. Now the Biden administration today is trumpeting that, well, the increase in inflation in December was not as big as initially stated. It was initially stated as three-tenths of a percent. It's been revised down to two-tenths of a percent. So I don't know that a tenth of a percentage point is a really big deal. But what they also uh, made known today is that the November number and the October number were revised up a tenth of a percent. So I mention all that not to point a finger, not to say they're failing, but just to say that when Jerome Powell and the Fed consider all these things, it has to be an incredibly complex thing. And they're human. When any human makes a big mistake, you don't want to make another big mistake on top of it, particularly with something as consequential as the American economy. Yeah, but yet, unfortunately, if you look at a lot of the decisions that are made uh, in Washington, it seems like we don't seem to learn from our mistakes that easily. You know, for example, here we are with a deficit that is uh, arguably careening out of control. Uh, I think even the average, you know, layperson knew if you print five trillion dollars just out of thin air, there's going to be repercussions. Now, you might not have known what those repercussions are. You might not have known that. Well, interest rates are going to have to rise, which is going to have a negative impact on bond holdings, which is going to affect, you know, down the chain. But at the same time, you can't just print $5 trillion out of thin air. And we had to know that. I mean, there's smart people, believe it or not, in, in Washington, Chairman Powell being one of them. Uh, so we tend to repeat bad decisions. And one thing that he said, uh, Chairman Powell said in that interview that I thought was rather candid, is he said, we are, and I quote, in the long run, the U.S. is on an unsustainable fiscal path. Now, he gave a lot of disclaimers in there where he said, you know, I don't, the Fed's job is not to advise, uh, you know, budgetary policy. But at the same time, he is concerned that if we do not make changes, we're on an unsustainable fiscal path. The interviewer, on the other hand, went further to say that um, according to estimates, we're 30 years away from the debt ce- or the uh, national debt being north of 140 trillion dollars, which you know I can't wrap my head around 30 trillion. So 140 trillion just seems like a lot more than that. But then he he kind of boiled that down and he said, "What does that mean for every family? Every family 30 years from now, if we don't change course, will be on the hook for one million dollars of the nation's debt." Okay, and it's not like you're going to get a bill at home like, hey, by the way, uh, Mr. and Mrs. America, you got to pay a million dollars to get us out of debt. But as someone who understands the ramifications of what that would mean to the American economy and to the American retiree, 
people who are approaching retirement, people who have invested in retirement. We're at what, 37 trillion in debt right now? Uh, I'm always struck when I see, uh, most often it's during a certain television commercial, the US debt clock. And it's just spinning like crazy. And I'm thinking, is that really, is that done for effect or is it really piling up like that? What would be the long-term effect? What, what's, what's the, the day of reckoning look like, Josh, when the U.S. debt becomes a problem that can no longer be ignored and can no longer cavalierly be jacked up in order to prop up the U.S. economy? Yeah, so first, uh, disclaimer, I'm going to oversimplify this quite a bit, but just for uh, ease of understanding, there's a couple of ways that the U.S. funds things that it can't afford. And, and one way is through IOUs. We know them as treasury bills. So we issue treasuries, which is just simply saying that you are loaning the Fed government or loaning the federal government money, and they are going to pay you interest for that. Now, the lower the interest rate, the lower the carrying costs of that debt, the higher the interest rate, the higher the carrying costs. Now, people in the United States, individuals, pensions, um, uh, you know, 401k companies, et cetera, they all invest in these things, but so do other countries. And if we cannot afford to pay them back, then there's always a risk of default. Well, if we defaulted on that, you would see pensions across the country having significant liquidity problems. You would see, uh, you know, people's retirement accounts having significant problems. But you would also see the way that the U.S. is viewed, uh, our debt position or our creditworthiness would be affected. So other countries, Europe, China, et cetera, who invest money in U.S. Treasury bills because they're kind of known as the gold standard of safe investments, would no longer do that. So then we're left with this decision, well, we can print money to pay, but if we keep printing money and our inflation goes out of control – then are other countries going to want to invest or are you going to want to invest in treasuries knowing that the rate of the treasuries isn't keeping up with the currency risk or the fact that inflation is outpacing that? So if the yen, for example, is getting stronger versus the dollar and the dollar is only and the treasuries are only paying two or three percent, China is not going to invest money in the yen. So then we run the risk of now we don't have the most stable currency. Well, we hear oftentimes that you know, the U.S. dollar is the U.S. is the world reserve currency. So we could potentially lose our position as the world reserve currency. This trickle effect could be you know, quite cataclysmic, quite frankly. And I'm not saying that to lead you down this path of doom where you start getting very concerned. But what is concerning is that we can change it if we want to. But there will be a tipping point where we can't. And Bruce, you and I talked about this, I think, a week or two ago, where there was a report out of uh, you know, the Wharton School of Business, they call it the Wharton budgetary model. And they said, if we keep doing what we're doing without making any significant decisions or changes, somewhere in the 2040s, we've reached that tipping point where we can't write the ship anymore. So I think it just echoes how important it is to vote wisely and how important it is to live your life accordingly, knowing that, you know, having high debt and a bunch of other things will get in the way of your freedom, essentially. Yeah, and all of that underscores the need to have somebody who is monitoring your retirement, planning your retirement, doing it with your best interest at heart, a fiduciary like Josh and the Aptus team. Set up your consultation to discuss that possibility, or at least to get more information, 
614-917-1040. That's their number at their office in Lewis Center, just off Route 750. Their web address, where you can also make your appointment for the free, no obligation consultation, is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. I believe we had some kind of something uh, downgraded. Uh, maybe it was a bond rating uh, downgraded from AAA to AA uh, last year. Um, I guess what I want to know is for somebody who's listening to this and they're like, well, look, I, I'm i trying to make great decisions. Uh, I'm an Aptus client or I want to become an Aptus client or I want to investigate the possibility. Uh, or even if I want to manage it on my own, I, I'm, I'm not doing the wrong things. I don't pile up debt, this, that, and the other. Can an individual, Josh, their own good decisions insulate them from the bad decisions of national monetary policy uh, to completely, partially? Uh, how would you answer that question? I think they I think they can. I mean, we can't insulate ourselves for from many things. Like, for example, if the U.S. was attacked, we can't insulate ourselves from war. Um, you know, if if there is a significant uh, disparity between the haves and haves nots, that obviously incites violence and rioting and crime. And we can't insulate ourselves from that. But specifically, as we look at how do I make sure that I'm OK living in the United States and I'm doing all the right things, um, investing, not just saving your money and, and investing is investing in companies or investment vehicles that provide a rate of return that will outpace inflation is the only way to really insulate yourself from that. On top of that, making sound decisions of keeping your debt limited, et cetera, uh, will put you in a position where you have more flexibility to move when the time is necessary. And I don't mean move out of the country. I mean, just make moves with your money that can improve your situation. So, you know, in short, are there things you can do? Absolutely. 100%. Um, what shouldn't you do is a better question. What you shouldn't do is only a worry about today. What you shouldn't do is worry about what watch you have on your wrist, what shirt you have on your back, and what car you're driving, because that certainly will not insulate you. Matter of fact, it will head you in the opposite direction. And that is not me telling you not to live uh, a great and enjoyable life, but you have to have some parameters or some guardrails to live within and make sure that you have a disciplined approach to how you're going to handle these types of situations. And I think at the key of it, uh, even though I sound like a broken record when I say this, is having a plan is critical, but not only just having kind of a baseline plan, but also stress testing that plan, saying, what if some of these things happen? What's going to happen to my situation? And then what are my secondary, tertiary? What what moves will I make with the if-thens if they occur? And I can tell you, Bruce, that having that set up is so comforting to know that, hey, you know, I know this might happen, but if it does, we're prepared for it. Well, that's, that has certainly been my impression, my takeaway and Sherry's takeaway, my wife Sherry's takeaway from becoming an Aptus client. And, you know, the thing about it is this is a, this is a changing face of our economy all the time. Even go back to like, say, 1990. I saw a statistic today. Uh, most working adults between 50 and 60 had a pension plan through their company. Uh, that dropped down to just uh, a quarter of workers in 2022. So you go from like 80 to 85 percent of workers down to 25 percent of workers. And can you do something to take care of that situation? Sure. But the survey uh, says that 55 percent of people surveyed 
said their company didn't help them enough in saving for their golden years. Even more, 80% claim the government should assist more in the retirement crisis. Look, folks, the government's not going to help you in retirement. We know Social Security is failing. And Josh, that underscores the importance for people to take ownership of it themselves. Yeah, the only way the government can help you at this point is by stealing from future generations to fund your retirement. Now, maybe selfishly, you don't care about that. But when you print money, that's what you're doing. You're stealing from future generations to saddle them with debt to solve your immediate problem. And while the government's been pretty good about doing that over the years, that's not something that you can count on. Uh, and that's been proven time and time again. So it's very important that you take, you know, your life into your own hands. You can do it more efficiently probably than you think. And you can do it quicker than you probably think to put yourself in a much better position. And that is what they specialize in at Aptus. That's why we are clients in the Hooli family and why you should take advantage of the free no obligation consultation. Investigate. You're not out anything. There's no obligation. 614-917-1040. 614-917-1040. The web address is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Coming up in the second half of the show, we're going to talk more about what are some of the smart decisions that you can make. What are the some of the dumb decisions that you can avoid? It's all ahead on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Thank you for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. Aptus is located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, not far from the 23270 interchange, and they offer you a free no-obligation consultation when it's convenient for you to go in, sit across the table from Josh and his team. They'll find out more about you. You'll find out more about them. And my wife and I have done that. We have become Aptus clients for about a year now. We're very happy with the results, and I think you will be as well. You'll certainly be better equipped when you leave the office with more information and a greater understanding of what it takes to arrive at financial independence later on in life. They call it the Aptus Retirement Blueprint. It is a plan. It is not a strong-armed plan. You are in charge of the process. You get to decide whether you want to pursue Maybe one of several routes that they outline for you, depending upon your risk tolerance, depending upon various things. So sit for that free consultation. Set it up by calling their office, 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040, or make your appointment online at aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And we talk a lot, Josh, on this show about various investment vehicles and strategies and Let's just uh, confront the one thing that I think most people fear in retirement, uh, running out of money, running out of money in retirement. And you've come across uh, this situation, I know, many times over the years in various different kinds of analysis. And you were telling me that you came across another story today that talks about some of the more common mistakes that people make that explain why they've run out of money in retirement. Yeah, you know, I came across this article. It was on MSN Money, and there's lots of articles like this. So the, the particular article isn't as important as just kind of this hit list of items that people can fall victim to that can be, you know, incredibly damaging to their ability to last throughout retirement. And this one was the nine most common reasons people run out of money in retirement. And the first one on the list is not going to come as a shock, but I think it's important that we cover why it's a problem is too much debt. And I know at least, you know, we, we have a general idea of why having too much debt is a bad idea. We don't want to have large payments and we don't want to get behind on things. And obviously no debt is better than any debt. But I think when it comes to retirement, 
we have to start viewing retirement a little bit differently than we viewed our lives while we were working. So oftentimes I hear things like, well, why would I want my house paid off? Because the interest rate is only 3% or 4% because I bought it a while back and now interest rates are seven. So that's basically quote unquote free money. Why would I want to have that paid off? And the answer is you might not want to based upon your situation, but here's a reason why you might want to. Now, when you look at your retirement income sources, retirement is the first time in your life, more than likely, where you've had a significant ability to control the taxes that you pay. So if you look at most retirees here in the city of Columbus, most people are not living on in retirement, you know, $20,000 a month, or even if they have $10 million in investments, they're not living on that much money because for the most part, they've paid cash for their cars, they're paying off their houses, things like that. So they don't really need that much money. And one of the huge sources for everybody is Social Security. But Social Security is this very weird animal where you are taxed on your Social Security based upon your outside income. So let's kind of use this as it relates to your house payment. If your Social Security between a husband and wife is, let's say, $5,000 a month, and you go, well, I only need $6,000 a month to live on, great. Well, that would mean quite literally you would pay no federal income taxes because your outside income is only a thousand bucks a month. Your social security in that instance would not be taxed and it wouldn't even go in the taxable column. So your standard deduction would basically wipe out your entire tax liability. Now let's just assume that you have a mortgage payment that's $2,500 a month. So now I don't need 6,000. I need 8,500. Well, now my outside income isn't a thousand dollars a month. It's $3,500 a month which now not only do I have to pay taxes on the $3,500 a month because my standard deduction doesn't wipe that out, but I also now have to pay taxes on probably upwards of 85% of my social security. So what's more expensive? All of the taxes on $8,500 a month that you didn't have to pay before or 3% on the mortgage that you have. My argument is it depends on your situation, but more than likely it's probably better off that you don't have the debt. Yeah, and this is one of the things, folks, that that I've found in doing this show with Josh for years that uh, is a piece of retirement investing that I didn't think about. I'm more more so retirement strategizing than simple investing. It works its way toward investing because of the strategy of incorporating tax planning, and I found him to be extremely insightful on tax planning and even on things involving something that I might not have thought of would play into it, like how you buy a car. Car now is a big chunk of money. It's a major investment. How you buy it. You buy it with what you have on hand. You buy it with an investment. Those kinds of things. And if you can keep your taxes as low as possible, legally as low as possible, then a lot of these issues sort of uh, can show you how smart it is to have a fiduciary on the case. And to have somebody who understands the ramifications of all these decisions, you can get uh, Josh working for you or at least investigate that possibility by setting up your free consultation by calling Aptus 614-917-1040. 614-917-1040. Now, it's interesting as you talk about debt. And I came across a couple stories this week, too. Here's one that I think particularly plays into that idea of debt and how it can really cut into people's retirement. Uh, this is a study from Northwestern Mutual said the average adult 
owes $22,000 excluding mortgage debt. That just, that number blew my mind. Now that's actually $8,000 less than people owed in 2019, which I don't know if that means they applied their pandemic checks to their debt. I would love, I'd love to think so, that they didn't just go out <clears throat> and, and uh, blow it. But man, that's a lot of debt. Uh, mortgage debt plus 22 grand per adult. Yeah, well, it's not shocking to me. You know, it's actually a little bit lower than I thought it was going to be. If you think about the average car price, uh, you know, and most people don't pay cash for cars. But when you think of about adult, we're also encompassing people from the ages of, you know, 18 to 99 years old, right? So I would be willing to bet that if we looked at the average 35-year-old, for example, with a young family, it's probably significantly higher than that which why it's just so important to manage debt. You know, when you look at, we were talking in the first segment about potential things that could happen that would be bad in the economy. Would you feel more or less comfortable heading into a terrible time in the economy, knowing that you have everything paid off or knowing that you have a ton of debt? I mean, I think we would all agree that having everything paid off would be better. But, you know, that's not always an option. We can't just pay all our debt off. That isn't necessarily the case. But what we need to do is we need to focus on debt as much as we focus on accumulation. And there's plenty of people running around out there on TikTok and social media saying, well, debt's a great thing. Why wouldn't you want to have debt? You can leverage debt to buy things. And if you're incredibly sophisticated and you know exactly what you're doing and you have a core competency to make money utilizing debt, then of course, by all means, go that direction. But for the lion's share of folks, it just doesn't make sense. So let's kind of go down this through this list a little bit more, and I'm going to kind of skip over some of them. One of them says, don't be overly optimistic about investment expectations. So don't think your investments are going to average 11% every single year. I think that seems pretty obvious. But this is one that I'm starting to see more and more, and that's banking on help from other people. Whether, well, if it gets bad, I'll live with my kids, or I'm going to inherit some money from aunt so-and-so. Those things are not guarantees and they're not things to bank your life upon. I mean, it, it, if you think you can live with your kids, who's to say that your kids won't run into financial hardships and if they might not be able to take care of you? And who's to say that your aunt isn't going to need a bunch of long-term care and she's not going to blow through all of her money via long-term care through in, inappropriate planning? Um, you know, not having a budget, uh, underestimating your life expectancy. The list just kind of goes on and on, but I think they all point towards um, two things. If you look at three things on the list, address taxes. Only two things on the list address investments and return. And all of these kind of point to the value of having a plan, the value of not being emotional, but being pragmatic in your decisions, the value of working with a non-emotional third-party trusted advisor that it can help you make logical decisions and keep you accountable for following the plan and starting now or even earlier than now, hopefully, and following through. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, the great part about the consultation that people can have with you and, and the Aptus team is that they may have an idea of every box they need to have checked when they get to retirement. Okay, I got my house paid off. I got my cars paid off. I got enough money saved to buy another car if I need to. But maybe they've never thought about long-term care. Maybe they've, you know, just just missed that because I'm going to live, you know, in my house forever. Hey, my parents thought that. Um, 
one died suddenly, one then could not, you know, be alone. And long-term care was something that was not on their radar in retirement. So it's just another reason why it's smart, uh, why it's prudent to have that conversation with Josh and the Aptus team. Take advantage of the free consultation, 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040, located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750. Now, conversely, uh, here is another story I saw, eight signs that you will retire wealthy. Well, hey, who doesn't want that? Uh, number one on the list, no debt. One of the other items on the list, you talked about people in retirement, Josh, who expect to get help from someone else. Here, maybe in the same vein of, oh, the long-term care box. No, I didn't think about that. Here's one that I bet a lot of retirees don't think about. You are no longer, this is a sign that you are going to retire wealthy. You are no longer supporting your adult children. I don't know how many people think of that, the possibility that, you know, my adult kids may be calling on me for help and I may not be in a position to help them if I'm going to stick to my retirement plan, but they're my kids and I got to help them. And then they end up in a precarious situation in retirement that they just didn't plan for. Yeah, you'd be surprised how often, and I'm not faulting anybody for this, but and let me first say I'm shooting from the hip on this statistic, but I'd be willing to bet that 25 to 30% of the clients I work with are substantially financially supporting their adult children. And by adult children, I do not mean 18 to 25-year-olds. I mean people that are in their 30s and 40s. And by that support, I mean quite literally things like paying their cell phone bill, uh, et cetera. You know, I think it's great. If you're in a financial position to be able to take your family on a vacation and pay for it, that's great. But I'm talking about daily living items, not extravagant one-time hits. I'm talking about paying their cable bill, paying the electric bill. And unfortunately, uh, for many people, that is not a luxury that they can afford to do and sustain for a long period of time. And Bruce, I've had to have some clients have some difficult conversations with kids. Like, hey, I'm retired. And I can't keep paying for this. And their kids sometimes, even though they're adults, aren't real happy about it. Uh, but at the end of the day, would you rather have that really, uh, would you rather have Netflix or have your mom kicked out on the street? Uh, which one would you prefer? We have to have this conversation. Yeah. And so while that's on the list, eight signs that you will retire wealthy, you're no longer supporting your adult children. It's also on another list that I came across entitled Eight Purchases baby boomers should never make in retirement. And one of those things is you are paying for things your kids should be paying for. So that's really an issue. Again, another thing that you might not have on your own list of, I got this taken care of. I got this taken care of. House paid for. Uh, I got insurance. Whoa, I didn't think of this. So that's something that comes up out there. What are some of the other things on the list of purchases that you may not be prudent to make uh, timeshares, number one, you know, the idea of a timeshare sounds great. You know, luxury vacation. Uh, is that a good investment? Is it not a good investment in that same vein? Extravagant gifts for others, overpriced vacations, unneeded home repairs, excess life insurance, all those kinds of things. And I think people just get into the thought that, well, Aptus is my retirement uh, specialist. 
and I can only talk to them about my investments. I can only talk to them about <clears throat> how my investments are performing. But you'd rather know about a big purchase uh, and have the opportunity to weigh in or say, well, that's outside my area, you know, do what you want or whatever. You'd rather know about those things. And any good fiduciary who's legally obligated to do what's best for their client, the fiduciaries out there in your world would rather know about those big expenditures before they happen and then have somebody say, hey, by the way, was that a good idea? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's all for taxes. It, well, let me rephrase. There's a huge part of that that is because of tax planning. If you have to take $50,000 out of your investments to pay for a $40,000 item because of taxes, and there's a way that you can take $45,000 out to pay for a $40,000 item, wasn't that the same as gaining $5,000 in your investment return? But I think oftentimes what we focus on is what was the rate of return that I received on my portfolio? Well, it's not just what you make, it's what you keep. And we cannot, once the damage is done, we can't undo it. So it's much better to, to learn ahead of time. So let's talk about investing, uh, which is the crucial element of growing people's savings. And I uh, saw an, uh, a story this week from a guy who I think is uh, uh, the head of a hedge fund. And he was talking about, and while the market has been performing very well, I think we're up five straight weeks. He was talking about uh, a complaint, a lament that he had that uh, he says passive investment has broken the market. Passive investment in his eyes is somebody who just invests in an index fund. Um, he says that fewer people are paying attention to a company's fundamental merits. They are uh, chasing what he terms overvalued equities and chasing after price. So I kind of wanted to get your take on that. I know that equities, stocks are uh, one of the uh, sectors you're always keeping your eyes on. But what did you think of that perspective? Uh, a lot of people, if you're young enough, maybe you just buy an index fund and you stick with it. And that's, uh, for a lot of people, proved not to be a bad strategy. Yeah, so I'm going to draw some inferences on that article. I, I think probably what he's saying is folks that really the change of from the standard pension for the average worker to the 401k, and then the advent or the popularity of companies like Vanguard, who are very passive oriented and passive meaning, well, I'm just going to invest in the S&P 500. I'm not going to try and pick the best stocks. I'm not going to try and outpace the overall market. I'm just going to say the S&P 500 is an algorithm that simply says these are the top 500 companies based upon this criteria. Uh, I'm just going to invest in those uh, with the ideology that if the market does well or the U.S. economy does well, obviously the top 500 stocks will do well as well. So I'm just going to keep on doing that every single month because I don't have a pension, so I'm going to have to save into something and just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, invest in the S&P 500. And what that can cause is, well, number one, the amount of money that's been dumped into the stock market over the last 20 years makes the previous 20 years look almost comical because you know, 20 years ago, a lot of people had pensions and they weren't actively investing in the market. So we have many more participants. But what that causes is look at today, for example, you have the magnificent seven that we hear about, you know, the seven stocks that have been driving the lion's share of the stock returns. And then rewind the clock back to just a mere few years ago, we had the FANG stocks, which was Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. And those five stocks were the ones generating the lion's share of the returns. As these types of companies in the S&P 500, 
get bigger and bigger and bigger, their representation in those 500 stocks gets larger and larger. So it is not, the S&P 500 is simply not saying, if I'm in the S&P 500 as a company, I have one 500th share. The top five or 10 companies represent at least 30% of the total. Well, as we keep dumping money into those, almost in spite of themselves, these big companies keep on getting more and more demand, which can drive their price up to levels that don't seem to make sense. Like, for example, if you look at that Magnificent Seven, the price to earnings ratio average of the Magnificent Seven is, I believe, north of 30 times right now, where the average price to earnings ratio of the other 493 is somewhere around 16 times, so almost double. And what that means is price to earnings ratio means what you're willing to pay for that company as it relates to the company's earnings. So a lot of money managers are going, this is very perturbing because why, I mean, there's no logic in this. You're just throwing money at things because they just happen to be in an index. Now, the flip side of that, though, to kind of contradict what that gentleman's saying is, well, the S&P 500 tends to do really, really well over a longer period of time. So if you're a novice investor, and you know Warren Buffett says this, if you don't know what you're doing, the safest play is just play the whole market and you'll end up doing well over time. So is there a consensus out there? Because we've talked a lot on today's show about uh, the volatility, the uncertainty. Jerome Powell's interview on 60 Minutes uh, saying that, you know, hey, uh, we would love to cut rates, but we're just not convinced yet that the economic indicators bear that out. Uh, how would you describe uh, your position right now and the position of other fiduciaries like you, people who are le legally obligated to do what's best for their clients? Uh, you know, uh, they're bear markets, they're bull markets, they're, you know, the continuum from one to the other. There's lots of middle ground in there. Uh, I know you have a definite plan for people, and I know that plan often hinges upon where people are uh, in their approach to retirement, how far they are out from it, whether they are in the midst of it. Yeah, obviously it's individualized and, and money has to have a purpose. Otherwise, we're just throwing money at stuff just so we can watch it grow. But if you're saving money for a purpose, that purpose is very important. And let's look at the FANG stocks, for example. So if you're just invested in the S&P 500 and the Magnificent Seven or the FANG or whatever you want to look at, you have 30% of your money effectively in seven stocks today. Well, what would that have done for you just a few years ago. Well, if you said, well, the, I mean, these are the number, the, the best seven, so the best five, I should have invested those a while ago. Well, if you look at the FANG stocks in 2021, they were up 28%. Well, that's great. Following year, they were down 44%. Not so great. Following year, they're up 76%. Year to date, they're up over 10%. So you, you can look at that two ways. One, those stocks have done tremendously well as you look at it from an average annual rate of return perspective. Or you can look at it from this perspective. Could I have handled being up 28, down 44, up 75, or would that make me have a heart attack and make me really question whether or not I'm capable of retiring? And that's the problem that we're seeing today with the uh, Magnificent Seven, is you could argue that people's retirements are going to look potentially shaky if we have a repetitious event like we had just a couple of years ago. So what am I seeing of money managers to answer your question? In general, we're seeing most active money managers starting to shift allocations away from these really heavily growth-oriented stocks like the Teslas of the world and shifting more towards 
I wouldn't call them more conservative plays, but more more value-oriented plays, like the Costco, Coca-Cola, Home Depots of the world, and saying, if things get bad, we'll at least get dividend payouts from those types of companies. And if things get bad, well, obviously the companies that have outlandish price-to-earnings ratios will be affected more than the ones that have price-to-earnings ratios that are more within historical norms and reason. So we're going to start kind of shifting that direction a little bit more. And, you know, even uh, here internally at Aptus, we're doing something similar. It does not mean that we're running away from growth stocks. It just means we're starting to to pay credence to the what-ifs and how can we better protect our clients on downturns. And that, to me, is the benefit of having someone like Josh in charge of my retirement investments is that I know he is always monitoring market conditions. Uh, he knows my approach to investing because we've had that conversation across the table during our consultation that led to us becoming Aptis clients. He gave us options in terms of how much volatility we were comfortable with. Uh, he presented options for us investing wise that I didn't even know existed and capturing a certain amount of the upside of the market while protecting myself from a vast downside of the market. The consultation is worth your time. Trust me, uh, you will come out of it at the very least better informed and with greater peace of mind. Set it up, 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040. Josh, thanks for your time. See you again next week. You as well. Thanks, Bruce. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.